Let's head over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 17 today. We are on the uh, study of the security of the believer. In our study, we've come to this paragraph, starting in verse 14, working its way all the way to verse number 18. And I'd like to uh, just read that big clump there together with you. 14, Romans 8, 14 through 18. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I found a very interesting uh, comment the other day as I was uh, preparing some of these thoughts for you here. Charles Spurgeon had made these comments concerning chapter 8 of the book of Romans. He says, this chapter is like the Garden of Eden which had in it all manner of delights. If one were shut up to preach only from the 8th of Romans, he would have a subject which might last a lifetime. And we might test that. What do you think? I think there's probably quite a bit here. And we've only been for a handful of months so far, and we haven't even hit the middle point yet. But this is what he also added to this. Every line of this chapter serves for a text. It is an inexhaustible mine. Paul sets before us a golden ladder from which every step he climbs to something yet higher. I thought those are very beautiful words to, to think about, as if we've been climbing a ladder together. We've moved from our past in the first couple of verses that talked about Uh, the condemnation we no longer have because of Christ Jesus. And that's a very important text that we found security in, right? We move from there to the issue of our mind in verse 5 through 8 and how he has secured us in that too. We found in verse 9 through 13 how he secures us in our living day to day that we live according to his design. But also now, This relationship we have with God, this is a section I like, especially, and I feel like uh, this is a great elevation to be at, to speak of what God has secured in our relationship. And I'm not one to like ladders. He talked about going up like a golden ladder, and and I found that uh, the higher I go, the tighter I cling to the ladder. I don't know about you, but my heart starts pounding, and my hands, even now I'm thinking about it, and guess what? I start to, there it goes, my hands start sweating, my arms, my legs will lock when I get up certain heights. They call it acrophobia, by the way. Acrophobia. I found this definition for it, and I didn't think it was very complimentary, to tell the truth. Uh, It said, acrophobia is an extreme or irrational fear. 
I said, now, wait a minute. <laughs> irrational. I didn't like that. Use that light, you know. But it says, an irrational fear or phobia of heights, especially when one is not particularly high up. I don't think that's complimentary. But I do say this in light of all that. I hope we don't have a spiritual acrophobia here this morning. Because we keep going up in our understanding of what the Lord has done for us. And we're just getting started, really, in this chapter. It's almost like a giant crescendo working its way toward the end of this chapter. Um, When we study security, do you realize that we're actually starting to study faith? As we do that. Because you can't really separate these two as you go through it. We're called to walk by faith, right? And and we are to live by faith. And faith is a firm persuasion that God can be trusted. That His words are true. These are the words He's saying to you. And this morning, if you have for perhaps the last five or six months we've been going through this, have been struggling with these words. Uh, Pastor keeps talking about security, you know, and it, and it just, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with those things. The question is, do you believe God? It's not about the pastor. This is what God has said. And they're very important words for us to anchor to. You see, I believe God can be trusted, <laughs> Simple statement for you. And security to me, in light of this little picture I set before you, is the fact that he's holding the ladder. And I like that. It gives me confidence as I go through this passage. So here in Romans chapter 8, we're in this paragraph talking about our relationship with him. And folks, if he was willing to give his son to die for you, that must say a lot about how much he loved you. That wasn't done in a wasteful manner, now was it? He didn't do that in a careless way. He gave his son that we might have this relationship that lasts forever. That's how secure it is. And that's why we're looking at this. This relationship with God has, to me, it's just absolutely, positively, perfectly secure in what he has done for us. And so as we work into this passage, a a key point to this paragraph in verse 15 is that we have been adopted as sons. That little phrase stands out, and I want you to underscore it in your thinking, if not in your Bible. You have received, verse 15 says, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. And that needs to be brought to the forefront here. Because... In that same passage, it says, there is no need to fear. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. And there's no need to to consider your relationship with him built on some spirit of slavery. This is a son he's identified us as. It's a secure relationship we see also in verse 16, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit to continually testify that we are children of God. Continually, we talked about that several weeks ago. What a powerful little section that is. He continually testifies, 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 testifies that we are children of God. Very important things to set before us. And so very naturally, what comes in verse number 17 
is based on those truths. We are children of God, and if we are children, we're heirs also. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Consider just something this morning from verse number 17. I'm just going to call them the main points. I didn't use matching letters or anything like that. If you want to do that, go ahead, match letters. But here's a couple of points that I think are very important. First, the word heir kind of stands out, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's a word that's significant to us. If you got a letter in the mail or if you got a call on the phone and somebody used that word heir and they said your name next to it, you get kind of excited. You don't know what that means, but it sounds, or at least you hope, that it sounds like it's going to be very profitable. Uh, the word heir is in our text. And so we're going to have to look at this word kind of carefully here this morning to understand it. If we follow it, the English translation as we have it, it says, if children, then heirs, or the New American Standard, heirs also. You see, one thing has to be true for the other thing to follow. Children is the first statement. Heir is the thing that follows. It's a natural progression of this. And I thought this was very interesting. You cannot be an heir of God simply because you are a creature on this earth. Not all humans can claim to be heirs of God. It is not written here. If creatures, then heirs. It doesn't say if humans, then heirs. There are some who just go about assuming, well, God's everybody's father. That is not the way Scripture presents it, is it? We are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how we become children of God. So this is not a phrase talking about everybody. Everybody on this earth. We cannot use it that way. So that's one thing that's worth noting here. A simple thing that follows that is you cannot be an heir of God simply because of natural descent. In other words, because mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or, or somebody else up the chain of the family was a uh, child of God and an heir, that doesn't make you one automatically. John would tell us in first, I mean his first chapter, John chapter 1, Verse 12 and verse 13, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not by a relationship because of grandma or grandpa, grandpa or aunts or uncles or anyone else. It's not by the will of the flesh, it's not by the will of men, but it is by God. Notice this text does not say, and there are those who hold out their, especially Jewish mentality, since we're children of God, we're heirs of God. It does not say, if children of Abraham, then heirs. It does not say that. We're not heirs because of natural descent in that way. We're not heirs simply because of something we have done. Meritorious service. Heirship is not earned. It's not earned. It's not by what you do. You could stand up this morning and say, but I am the best servant the Lord has ever had. This does not say, and if you're a servant, then you're an heir. 
It does not say that. You cannot claim to be an heir of God simply because of some ceremonial observation. The Jews would hold to the fact, well, we're circumcised. That, that qualifies us to be heirs. There are those who believe that, well, you've got to be baptized. That's the only way you become an heir, is through baptism. Uh, the old monks used to uh, use acts of denial. They would go into their monasteries. They'd go in their little cubby holes. They'd spend hours in quiet meditation and prayer. Uh, they'd do their penance. They, the, the procedure, the ritual, the services. If I go to attend this service or that service. If I give this money, if I give that money. If I do this, if I do that. They go through all kinds of observations. They think because it looks worshipful, the Lord's going to acknowledge it. And it doesn't say, it does not say, you become an heir because of your observations or your, your, your you know, services to him and your baptisms and your tithes and your services that you attend. It doesn't say that either, does it? You become an heir of God simply because of regeneration. Big word that says you become his child. If children, then heirs. If children, then heirs. Now, there's only one question that follows that. And you know what it is. Are you born again? Are you born again? One commentator made this one phrase. His name was Salter, S-A-L-T-E-R. He says, As a dead man cannot inherit an estate, no more can a dead soul inherit the kingdom of God. He said, woo, right to the point. You must be born again. Scripture says so. It says so. Those are the ones who are the heirs. So this morning, if I ask the question, are you born again? You know, Christ is your Savior. Have you received Him as your Savior? Are you in the family of God? Are you a child of God? And you say, yes. You're an heir. Alright? That's what it starts with. If children... Than heirs. Let's stress it a little bit deeper. You want to change it? Just a touch. Take the word if out and put the word since. Because this is not a question mark. Paul didn't say, oh, I just wonder, maybe, possibly, could be. It's a statement of reality. Since you are children, you are heirs. Right? There's no question mark here as far as God is concerned. Since we are children, we are heirs. That statement equates the two together. Children, heirs. Children, heirs. And that's very important to see. Because if you're a child of God, you're not sitting here wondering, I hope this morning, am I going to be an heir? How do I, what do I do to become an heir? That, you know, how do I you know, equate with an Apostle Paul as being an heir? How do, how do I move up the chart? How do I get closer to the top? What do I do to become an heir? Be a child of God. That's all it says. I make that point. I stress it, just so you understand it. We are adopted by Him as sons. We're identified as children. We are heirs. We are heirs. Now, is there a difference between the word sons earlier, adopted as sons, and children? It's using the term children now. I think that's kind of an interesting change of terminology. And the idea behind it is very interesting. Because when you talk about a son, you talk about the virtue of 
sonship. And sonship rests in this passage on adoption. You're adopted as sons. Sons inherit legally. All right? To be a son stresses even dignity. In the sense that their relationship is because one is a father and now a a son. And there's something in the concept of likeness, too. When you say, you know, I'm a son of so-and-so or so-and-so, we usually look for similarities, don't we? Even Jesus used that once when he told the Pharisees they were, uh, they had a father. They were sons of their father. The father was the devil. (laughs) Not very complimentary there either, is it? Uh, but to make that concept, the characteristics of it. Sons brings up the concept of characteristics and the legal terminology that comes with it. Children inherit by virtue of birth. Our birth is affected here by regeneration. Children inherit naturally in this picture. Uh, to be a child of God is, is a stress upon the fact of spiritual birth. Spiritual birth. I just give you that emphasis as we go through this passage, as we start to talk about heirs. Our generation and what we read of in in uh, print, or we read of coming to us from the legal front, or such like that, it can be very confusing to understand the concept of an heir. Matter of fact, I pulled up uh, a little section here of terms used in reference to heirs in legal terminology. You might find it interesting. There are apparent heirs and heir apparent, beneficiary heirs, bodily heirs, heirs of the body, forced heirs, heirs ab intestato, I guess is how you'd say, heirs at law, heir general, heir in tail, I'm not sure what the tail has to do with that, heir presumptive, heir instituted heir, an irregular heir, a legal heir, a natural heir, a Pretermited or pretermited heir, a right heir, a testamentary heir, and I can't tell you what any of those really mean. And if you heard one of those and said you were one of these, I wouldn't want to be called an irregular heir, I don't think. I'm not sure, but it just sounds funny to me. Uh, but I read through all these, and you know what I like? When God had this recorded in Romans, he didn't use some fancy term to describe your relationship with him here. He just said, if you're my child, you're my heir. And it wasn't anything complicated in the simple idea. An heir. So I said, well, okay, let me go one step further and find out what does that term heir bring about? What, what goes with that? And I'm going to read to you four definitions from Webster's Dictionary now that describe an heir. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if you can recognize one word in each of these four definitions, okay? And I'll help you a little bit. Uh, definition number one, to inherit is to come into possession or to receive, especially as a right or divine portion. Item two, to receive from an ancestor as a right or title descendable by law at the ancestor's death. Item three, to receive from a parent or ancestor by genetic transmission. Or item four, to have in turn or receive as if from an ancestor. Did you catch a simple word that I repeated there? Receive. Ah, there's the key to it. There's the key to the idea. 
We have received it. I make that our main point. We have received it. Don't start to think that there is something we have done or something we need to do to make it possible. As if we've got to work our way into this being God's good graces somehow that He might set us up for some sort of inheritance in the future. It goes along with the simple statement in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And you know that passage. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by His grace. That's not of ourselves. Then we are children by that same grace, are we not? And if we are children by that same grace, then we are heirs by that same grace. If you are children, then you're heirs. It was by that grace that He not only raised us up from spiritual death, but He has also seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are seated there right now. Did you know that? When that was recorded in the book of Ephesians, you have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's already that sure that you'll be there. Your name's on the seat. You're already seated there. That's his view of you. I call that pretty secure. But that's by grace. What did you do to get there? You received it. You received it by faith. That's the whole picture I give to you here this morning. Uh, Being an heir is just a reminder. I'm a receiver. I'm a receiver. I didn't create the treasure. I haven't maintained the treasure. I'm not giving the treasure. I'm receiving it. That's what I am. I'm a receiver of His grace. That's main point. Main point from verse 17. If you are a child, or since you are a child, you are an heir also. Second point. Consider this. Heir of God. Fellow heir with Christ. Think of this. Children, heirs. The elder and the younger in God's family are equally heirs. Listen carefully. Sometimes in our minds we set up our little hierarchy, don't we? Certain people in the family of God are more heirs than others. Mm -mm. Children are heirs. He doesn't designate age. He doesn't designate anything like that. Because God's love for you and His gift of His Son is just the same as His love for me and the gift of His Son on my behalf. Is that true? Did He save you with some different kind of grace than He saved me? No. See, When we start to look at these things, we see that we're all under that same promise that he's making here. We're all uh, equally related because it's through Jesus Christ that we become heirs. It's through Jesus Christ that we become his children, that we have been saved in the first place. 
One commentator has said, you know, the inheritance is large enough for all of us. And it is. Because not all of us would qualify, like these folks in Scripture, who once were prophets. Not all of us would be preachers. Not all of us would have been an apostle, right? Not all of us are, are well instructed. Not all of us are, are the top-notch saint, if you will. Not all of us are rich. Not all of us are influential. Not all of us are strong. Not all of us are wise. Not all of us are even healthy. Not all of us are useful in the same manner. Some people can't serve like you serve. Some people can't sing like you sing. Some people can't be uh, like you. Have you been surprised by that? But as God's children, they're heirs. As God's child, you are too. He doesn't make distinctions in that regard. There's equality in this. Because here's the simple thing. Heirs of God. I want to point this out because this is a very curious thing. When I read this, heirs of God, um, the text doesn't say it quite like this, but this is what it means. Heirs belonging to God. Belonging to God. Heirs of God, belonging to God. We call that the genitive case in the, in the Greek study. It's possession. Belonging to God. Many times I've seen it and I've read it. The, the approach is this. Well, I'm an heir of God. That means whatever God has, I'm going to get. All right? And you say, okay. But do you realize that you belong to Him? An heir of God has been chosen by God to be the heir. Stand in His shoes for a minute. I know that's impossible, but stand in His shoes for a minute. Do you realize the joy it brings Him to call you His child and His heir? In the Old Testament, we're studying through the book of Genesis. Good old Abraham. God gave him incredible promises. You're going to have all these children and they're going to have this land and all this blessing that goes with it and everything else. And he says, but God, I don't have an heir. He knew the importance of that. We read through the chapters and we, we cringed at the decisions. He was trying to create a heir. He wanted an heir. God says, don't worry, I'll take care of the heir thing for you. And sure enough, he did, didn't he? He said, well, I kind of waited a long time. He was 100 years old, and his wife was 90, but there was the heir. And then Isaac, he grew up, and his wife couldn't have children, and he prayed to the Lord about that. And he says, look, there's a blessing here, there's a promise here, you've given all that to me, now what? I don't have an heir. God took care of that. How important it was for them to say, I have an heir. That brought peace to their heart. That brought joy to them. That brought some sense of, of uh, continuance for the family. Continuance for the name. Continuance for the property. It was going to stay that way. There was something very special about saying, I have an heir. Have you ever thought about God looking down and saying, I have an heir. And putting you in the picture? You belong to him. You're an heir of God. I know, you've got to let that soak in for a minute, don't you? I do too. I think, wow, 
What an incredible thing, because more times than not, I'm looking at it from my side, saying, what do I get out of this? I'm, I'm an error. Tell me what it is. Well, he could talk about how great his things are for us. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Tell me, what else do you need? If you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But we have been given all. We're heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1.14 identifies us that way. We're heirs of eternal life. Titus chapter 3 verse 7 describes us that way. We're heirs of the promise. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 says so. We're heirs of the grace of life. You can find that in 1 Peter 3 verse 7. We're heirs of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We're heirs of the kingdom. James would tell you that in chapter 2, verse 5. All these things that we're heirs of, yes, we have received much. But we're heirs who belong to God. And he's writing from that place today. He's looking at us. And this is his words concerning us. Now, any question now concerning his thoughts as you as his child? You are his heir. And Jesus Christ stands up and says, And they're my co-heir. I like the way that sounds. How they, they claim us because we're children. They claim us. Jesus made an interesting comment about that in Scripture. He calls us his friends. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? Have you ever thought about the fact that God is not ashamed to call you his own? Sometimes you wonder, don't you? <laughs> he looks down at you, maybe, and he says, nah, I don't know about that one. I'll, I'll that will never slip into this family, or such like that. Sometimes we carry ourselves along, and we look at ourselves, and we evaluate the way God loves us based on what we think God thinks about us. We filter it through our mistakes, our failures. We filter it through, you know, our mentality. We filter it through the amount that we give to Him in our time, and our devotions, and our... Oh, I didn't read scripture today, so I just moved down two notches from the love of God. We go through all these mentality gymnastics that we try to evaluate. How much does God love us? And who do we always base it on? Us. Stop and base it on Him. That's what the text is saying. He says, you're my child. How great, I read it to you, how great a love the Father has for us, that he should call us children of God. He has bestowed that upon you, called you his child, and now called you his heir. And how much of that was based on you? That's the beauty of the passage. You belong to him. Paul said it this way. This is a very intriguing passage. Matter of fact, you've got to stand there and look at it yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just a few pages away. But look at verse 21, 22, and 23. This is intriguing. Boy, what an intriguing passage. It says in 1 Corinthians three twenty-one. So then let no one boast in men. 
For all things belong to you, whether Paul, or Paulus, or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you. You're saying, wow, what's that? Well, keep going. And you belong to Christ. Okay. And look at the last phrase. And Christ belongs to God. Say, wow, what is that? Well, that's pretty deep stuff. You put yourself in this picture, and ultimately it comes down to a simple phrase. You belong to God. You belong to God. In, a, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 10 through 12, there's another set of words that really you've got to work your mind around and understand what he's saying here. Ephesians 1, 10 through 12. It speaks of a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens, things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. Now watch where it goes. This is great. Having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. Now, I stop right there in my tracks every time. When we get there, we think, well, we're going to, you know, pack up bags full of glory to take with us, right? We're going to just go up before that throne and start giving Him the glory, giving Him the glory, giving Him the glory, praising Him throughout eternity. Yes, I understand that, and that's what we do. But do you realize he looks at you and says, and that's what gives me glory? You are to the praise of his glory. The work that he's done to save you is to the praise of his glory. Even the reception of an inheritance is the praise of his glory. That's his work. And when it's presented as as mind-blowing as it is that we're receiving it in the first place, when it is received, she will get the glory for that too. It's bigger than I could even imagine. Bigger than I could communicate. But it all has to do with you belonging to Him. You belong to Him. We're heirs of God. Now consider one more thing here. Just a simple thought that goes with this. The, partic- the, the partnership that's in this word. Co-heirs with Christ. The partnership that goes with this. We're we're co-heirs or joint heirs. You might have the text in front of you say joint heirs with Christ. We are not heirs except for Christ. It is through Christ that we are heirs. It is in Christ that we are heirs. We cannot be an heir without Him. To be a co-heir with Christ is just the accurate thing to say for starters. Because you couldn't have been an heir without Christ. You're a co-heir with Him. But that does bring up some intriguing ideas. You say, well, what does that mean? What is Christ to receive from His Father? And what part of that are you going to share in? Co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. That doesn't mean He gets 50% and you get 50%. That means a co-heir. 
Both parties receive 100%. They share it. That blows me away. Just to think that. And I don't even, I, I can't even start to describe it for you. But this is what I want to ensure to you. And this is the side I'm going to fall on right now. Because it is tied to Christ, we cannot lose it. Okay? Because it is tied to Christ, we cannot lose it. His work, His title is ours, and it's indivisible. We, we will not be separated from it. Because we're co-heirs with Christ, it is secured. Absolutely secured. There's a power in that expression, co-heirs with Christ. And if we are children, we're heirs. And if we're heirs, that means we're heirs of God. We belong to Him. And if we're heirs, then we're joint heirs with Christ. Very interesting things set before us here. Now, the rest of verse number 17 intrigues me a great deal. And I don't want to shortchange you on those words. So I'm going to let them fall into next week. Alright? It's as if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. And I know you want to know what that means. <laughs> but I wanted to set first that secure relationship in your mind and in your heart. You are a child of God, and that made you an heir of God. And if you're an heir of God, that means you're equal as the rest of the children of God. In the fact that you belong to Him. And if you belong to Him and you're an heir of God, that makes you a partner with Jesus Christ. That much we know so far. Partnership. And it has some interesting ramifications in verse number 17. But as I bring these thoughts to a close, I want to remind you of a song. I know you've sung it a lot. You could remember it and the tune will pop right into your head. My father is rich in houses and land. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hand, of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them, but now he is reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and alien by birth, but I've been adopted. My name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. A tent, a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing. All glory to God. What? I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. A child of the king with Jesus my Savior. I'm a child of the king. Precious words. You've sung them before. They warm your heart, don't they? That's what this passage does when I read through it. An heir of God. What a privilege we have. Heavenly Father... The way you look down upon us amazes us, astounds us that you love us like this. That you have made this relationship what it is. That we who belong to you through Jesus Christ 
we're in a secure situation here for what you have done and what you even call us, children, heirs that belong to you. What a privilege it is to wear that title today. To know that it's true and it's, it's not based on how we got out of bed this morning. It's based on a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made it all possible that we, through faith in Him, might be called children of God. Thank you for what you have made us. Thank you for reassuring our hearts today and, and strengthening our thoughts, building around us just a incredible structure of love. Thank you for what you're doing to help us to rest in the relationship you have made for us. Helping us see with eyes that are tuned to your view as to what you think of us and how great a love you have bestowed upon us. Lord, there might be those today who have struggled with this this past week especially. Perhaps they've gotten into things they shouldn't have and they've struggled with, with thoughts and guilt and all those things that come with it. Lord, we've been there, unfortunately, many times. We start to wonder if you do indeed love us and yet you draw our attention back to a cross where Jesus Christ died and you remind us of the word, if you confess with your mouth these things, confess these things, you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for that grace that is greater than our sin. Lord, there are some who struggle because of relationships that they know where, where they're given difficulties in life. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child. They struggle along and somehow... They have equated those relationships with your relationship with them. And they feel as if it's a heavy thing, a difficult thing, a thing that they have to maintain, a thing that they have to earn, a thing that they have to try again to gain your attention, to gain your favor, to gain your love in any way. They're working so hard, Lord, when they just need to stop and realize as a child of God, they have your love in fullest measure. You have not diminished your attention toward them. You have not turned your love off toward them. You have not somehow loved them less for the things of this past week. Lord, these things we need to see. We need to understand better, more fuller, your love for us. And as we go through this chapter, there's deeper and deeper and deeper thoughts to the point where nothing can separate us from the love of God. Help us with that. Help especially those who struggle with that to see love from your perspective and feel secure in that relationship. Work in our hearts, we pray, Lord. Draw us close to yourselves and show us again as you have been so faithful to do it. How great you love us. We give you the praise for that and surely we must. We give you the praise for that because we want to. And it comes from our heart. Thank you for loving us. And we pray it in Jesus' name because he's the one that made it possible. 
And it's through his blood that we come before your throne even now. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. And in the name of Jesus, we say amen.